welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. I am your host, Matthew Dawkins, but not your only host. You see, I am joined by two co-hosts, one of whom as an enhancement, and another is frankly a complication. <laughs> <laughs> which is which? Is oh, that's, your... that's easy. Come on. I'm definitely the complication. No, I'm the complication. No, I'm definitely the complication. Oh, great. I'm the complication. So, so wait, wait. Does a complication, a level two complication, amount to level two difficulty? Eddie. No. No. That's not how complications work. In that case, uh, Dixie, how do complications work? A complication is something that you can or cannot buy off when you're making a role in Story Path. Um, if you don't buy it off, you still can succeed at the action you're trying to take. I think the example that we always put in our books is either trying to pick a lock or climb over a, a fence, right? Yeah. Are um, like to like go to. So if you don't buy off the complications and you're picking a lock, you can still pick the lock, but you're going to trigger an alarm or you're going to break the key off in the lock so you can't go back in something mm -hmm. of that nature um if you're climbing over a fence like if you don't buy off the complication of barbed wire at the top you know then you're gonna get cut up as you climb over the fence but you're still gonna climb over the fence so it's our it's it's, it's a really cool way to add complications <laughs> that's why we called it that to <laughs> to actions without penalizing the player and just saying like no you fail yes like you 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 don't climb over the fence Right. It's a more nuanced way of doing yes, but. Um, yeah. Whereas in a lot of other games, if someone rolls some kind of result that is you succeed with complications, uh, the, on the game master on the fly has to kind of apply that. But mm -hmm. with us doing this, we, you upfront know what the potential yes, but is. And some roles just don't have complications. They just aren't necessary. And so therefore, it's a much more clear success-fail binary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've, I've, I've seen people talk about how Story Path seems to have a lot more, like, to deal with at, at the rolling stage than other games. And it really doesn't. It actually just front loads all of it. Mm -hmm. So it's got all the same stuff that a and d or any other game system really has, right? When it comes to like, okay, you have like a partial success or a, you know, exceptional success or a failure or an exceptional failure, right? But it just front loads all of that math. Mm -hmm. So once you roll, the 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 narrative goes on smoothly generally like i have i, I have found that story path really is more suited to very narrative games mm -hmm. which is yeah. kind of the point yeah yeah i mean that's the that's the story part and uh, it was interesting the uh, that the entire complication mechanic because i was working on a board game not long ago which i can't name for nda reasons uh, and i'm only going to mention Ah uh, yes, I wrote Monopoly. Shoot some letters. Shoot some letters. Chess. There, there's snakes over here. I wonder why in America it's Candyland. shoots and ladders, and in the UK it's snakes and ladders. Because snakes are considered to be satanic, and in America it's considered to be would, would be too frightening for children. Is that true? That is true. Oh well, that's sad. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, free, free, free our snakes. Maybe it's just because we don't slide down snakes here. Or like, what is this, Tarzan of the Jungle? Like, come on. <laughs> I mean, I do. Is that is that what you do, Matthew? You just yeah, slide down yeah. snakes all day? Listen, you can't walk through a woodland in England <laughs> without a large anaconda or boa constrictor just dangling from a branch. Typically, they don't live up trees either. <laughs> this, is the, this is the remarkable thing. Uh, I mean, I've seen the film Anaconda, 
which stars the vile John Voigt. And uh, he gets eaten by an anaconda, if I recall. And uh, that one lives under the water, it lives in the grass, it lives off a tree. It's a very versatile reptile. <laughs> and I think the reptiles, limited that they are in Great Britain, saw that film and thought, you know what? If this one can do that and eat John Voigt, we can do that as well and plague the good people of Britain. So yeah, now we have this snakes and trees problem <laughs> that that tangentially inspired a moderately successful B-movie starring Samuel L. Jackson, which initially was going to be called Snakes in Trees. But of course... <laughs> Some someone had already started writing the novelization of this. It was a non-fiction because, as we know, snakes live in trees in the UK. So that meant they had to change it to higher up in altitude to become snakes on a plane. Uh, which, was there like know, a like midway point where they were workshopping like snakes on a mountaintop? <laughs> yeah. Well, the the big question was how far do we go? Uh, yeah. There was snakes in space. Yes. Into space. <laughs> uh, I mean, at one point they were considering the mythological route. I remember we were approached that someone said, "Can we use Scion to snakes on Mount Olympus?" Uh, someone, <laughs> what? So there, there were a bunch of scientists. I don't know if you remember. Uh, they were called the, uh, the the. I think they were called something like the Reptilios team. It sounds like a vaguely Bond villain, but I'm sure they were perfectly respectable and reputable scientists. But what they did was they got a basket. And they filled it with snakes. That was their first mistake, because as we know, baskets have holes in, so all the snakes fell through them. So next they got a box, and they filled the box with snakes. They took it up into the sky, and then they wanted to find out what would happen if we put snakes on clouds. And we could do snakes on the clouds. What these scientists didn't realize, and I hate to reveal this to you listeners, is clouds aren't solid. And snakes just <laughs> fell through the clouds, and so it was raining snakes, which subsequently inspired a song, uh, which became It's Raining Men, because it turned out, well, I don't think raining male bodies or raining snakes is terribly appealing, but one is apparently more appealing than the other. So that's how we got to where we are now. Some of those snakes, they came down from the clouds, they ended up in our trees, that's where they're stuck today. Did you ever see the sci-fi channel Snakes on a Submarine movie? No. I can't say that I did, although <laughs> I imagine it would appeal to me greatly. <laughs> my so my ex-boyfriend um, um, was in the Navy, um, and he was like specifically on submarines mm. when we were dating. And so I, I used to take great pleasure in finding terrible, terrible B-submarine movies oh, no. <laughs> to watch with him so that he could point out every single inaccuracy. Yeah. Uh, but this one stars uh, Luke Perry. And oh. Tom Berenger, I do believe. Oh, wow. uh, and they're on a, they're like taking a submarine to like its final resting place or something. Like it's like a, a, a declassified submarine. I, I don't remember the whole plot. Yeah. And, and, and there's, there's snakes on it and they get, a, get out, obviously. And then bad things happen. They, uh, it's called oh. Silent Venom. Silent oh. Venom. A as opposed yeah. to the less popular, very loud Venom. <laughs> Farty uh, Venom. Yeah. <laughs> Although I suppose the Tom Hardy vehicle Venom uh, is loud. <laughs> uh, I imagine Tom Berenger probably played a grizzled and morally subjugated uh, a gnarly officer. That's what he usually plays. I'm not just I taking think, this from Platoon. I think he's an admiral. 
Yeah. Uh, he's in. He must be in bed with the... I'm going to pick on the Chinese, because this movie sounds like it was made after the Cold War, if it's got Luke Perry in and a starring role. It was made in, like, 2009. Yeah. So, at that point, we don't have too many international diplomatic enemies. And so I'm imagining the Chinese smuggled these snakes into the torpedo chutes. And at some point, Tom Berenger, he's been paid off, you see, uh, said, <laughs> we need to let loose our torpedo payload because we can't just ram this submarine into the seabed and leave it there with live ammunition on board. And Luke Perry said, yes, sir, yes, sir, uh, because that's how you say it in the Navy. And Thanks. he goes and flicks the switches <laughs> But what he doesn't know is there aren't torpedoes in there, and it's set to eject in a reversed manner. So the torpedo tubes open up, and suddenly snakes pour into the submarine. This thing writes itself. I think that you've written a more interesting movie than I saw. Um, <laughs> because I'm pretty sure the plot was like, they go rescue a scientist, who is a lady scientist, of course, to of make course. it very, they came from DC. Yeah. Um, so they go rescue a lady scientist from an island or something, and her cargo includes deadly snakes. And they right. get out, because of course they do. Uh, and, and yeah, it's got Luke Luke Perry and Tom Berenger are both naval officers of some sort, and mm. I forgot who plays the lady scientist. It was like some like soap actress of, 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 of some sort. Krista something? But yeah. Uh, I, do, do you think Tom Berenger said, Damn it, Perry! We can't... <laughs> We can't slow down this mission. This is this submarine is classified. We can't just be letting on any lady scientist with a box full of snakes. And Luke Perry is there, head out of the conning tower, <laughs> hair windswept. So Luke Perry passed on now, unfortunately, but he apparently was a very nice man. Uh, but he he looks beautiful in the setting sun, peering out of a submarine, and he says, "Damn it, Admiral." If you've got to take this submarine down, you're taking it down with a conning tower open. I'm not closing this conning tower until we save this lady scientist and her box full of snakes. And so, <laughs> I don't and, think they know there are snakes at the beginning. Oh, and this mystery box she's carrying. And uh, Baron just says, Perry, you're a maverick. <laughs> you're a wild card. You're let loose cannon because it's turned into a 1950s or 60s gun. It's like, give me your badge and your gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, once we reach dark, you're, you're going to be court-martialed, damn it. He struggled with his lines at one point, but we forgive him. He's quite old now. And so they reach the island. They take the woman on board, and then they realize, unfortunately, the hatch and conning tower that goes down to the submarine is round, and the box that has the snakes in is, as we know, square cube shape so they say well we can't take this box you know you got to leave your luggage behind so she just opens it and pours all the snakes <laughs> into the submarine <laughs> and all hell breaks loose <laughs> once again you are writing a more interesting movie than the one i saw you know 10 years ago on the sci-fi channel i also imagine the box she's carrying on the side is a big card that says definitely not snakes on it <laughs> this way up <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> okay, I am now going to have to rewatch Silent Venom, which I never thought I would want to do, just so I can run it as like a uh, you know, freaking like they they came from scenario for for you two. <laughs> I mean, it would be a good mashup of Beneath the Sea and Classified. Yeah. Oh, I think that's the theme yeah. tune from Oz. I just heard. Uh, oh, it's my phone is ringing.
I was wondering what that was. Uh, do apologize. Your phone rings the theme song from Oz. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, also, it's an wait, inside your, joke. Your phone rings? You're a terrible millennial. Uh, only sometimes. Only sometimes. But... <laughs> Uh, but beyond that, beyond that, so I'm liking this. I'm like, okay, so we're rewriting Silent Venom for this episode. I imagine <laughs> if if they got this box on board their submarine, there's at one point where they're traveling below the surface. Of course, they can't come up because they're in enemy water, and right. there's going to be two sailors, probably drunk, playing cards. They're in the same room as the box with the snakes in. And, and one of them whoa, 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 says... Stop, stop, stop. You, you mm. emptied the box. You said before, the box could not get into the submarine. So well, I'm coming up with alternatives. <laughs> I'm coming up with... Maybe, oh, oh, I yeah. see. And we'll see which one's better. But, but they're probably playing cards on the box. Because they're saying, hey, Chip, do you have anywhere we can play cards? And there's probably tables all over the submarine. Submarines are well known for their furnishings. But (laughs) but Chip says, there's that box over there. That looks just about perfect for a card table. And so they pull up their chairs next to the box, and there they are playing Snap. And one of them slams a card down and goes, Snap, happy families, ha-ha, whatever. And then he he says, "Did you just hiss at me?" And Chip says, "No, I can hear hissing though." And they look; <laughs> they're looking around the room. The camera goes down and focuses in at the box, which then gives a little shake, shake, shake <laughs> from the angry snakes inside it that are busy hissing away. The One of the sailors goes off and says, I think there might be a gas leak somewhere in the submarine. He walks off, leaving Chip behind to gather up his winnings. And then, he's, and then he thinks, that hiss isn't coming from the gas. That hiss is coming from the box. And so he carefully opens <laughs> up the box while le- le- leering over it and leaning over it as well. I don't know why he's leering. Uh, hey, baby. Yeah, maybe. Because of the lady scientist. Yeah, I wonder what's in Could this box. Could be a lady box. snake in the box. <laughs> I wonder if there's another lady scientist in this box, he thinks. And he opens the box and then... It leaps out. A dozen snakes all attached to his face at once, and he twirls around. And his buddy, his name's Buddy, walks in and sees Chip with a beard of snakes just clamped onto his face, thrashing around. He's going, "Oh God, pull them off of me!" Buddy pulls the snakes off of Chip's face, but shock and horror, it pulls Chip's face off at the same time. And uh, the rest is, as they say. Oscar bait. <laughs> so which part of this is the silence of the venom? Because <laughs> I hear a lot of screaming and lady scientists screaming cards. <laughs> I have uh, I, I've gone on a mild deep dive of the director of Silent Venom. That's, that's very good, a deep dive. And every single thing that he's directed is a terrible movie, as okay, far as I can good. tell. Hey, you, you gotta make money somehow. Like, he's just been directing terrible movies since, like, the late 70s. I actually had a friend who was a scriptwriter, and his primary scriptwriting career was writing, like, uh, Hallmark films. That's, like, all he really did. I'm like, yeah, that's a very... He's like, they pay regularly. And I'm like, okay, good job. You you have made a career out of this. Fantastic. I I would love to do that. I would love to do that far more than I would want to write good movies. 
the pressure of always delivering. Uh, I mean, you can look at someone like, uh, let's take Ridley Scott. He's had a couple of movies out this year uh, in the mm-hmm. form of The Last Duel and uh, The House of House of Gucci. And he's he's probably seen as one of these A-list directors, despite the fact he thinks millennials are ruining cinema and all that crap. I literally just saw that quote today. Yeah. It was, and like, as soon as you mentioned him, I, I was like, I was like, yeah, like he like said some comment about how millennials won't watch anything that isn't served to them on a cell phone. And I'm like, how old do people think millennials are? Twelve. Because Anyone like, younger than Ridley Scott. <laughs> I feel like that's how like the older generations think about millennials. And it's like, we, we're in our 30s. Like, we've got mortgages and loans and things. Most like most of my friends have kids. Like, yep, come we're on. All punk rockers, that's what you are. Um, but he, anyway, he st- anyway. Yeah, he started off with these fantastic films like The Duelist and Alien. Of course, Alien is very well-known and uh, arguably peak Ridley Scott next to Gladiator. And then you have uh, movies like Alien Covenant. <laughs> And and Prometheus and and many more, and the pressure to maintain that level of alien quality must be quite immense. Where you have to mm-hmm. develop a very thick skin when it comes to criticism. Whereas if you know that the movies you're making are bad, or or at least you're just going to have fun making it, all you're going to do is make an hour and a half of indulgent nonsense then it must be fun to go to work and just do that and tell a story yeah. and go home and cash your checks and think well uh, at least i'm at least i'm not being slammed for my last failure because all of my movies are failures how <laughs> much indulgent nonsense do you think we've put out over the past 2 3 years in terms 100%. of games or podcast episodes oh i meant us as in the podcast not not us as in onyx path <laughs> oh oh how many episodes yeah. we have 184 now i would say about 182 of them <laughs> so on some level we do get paid to just sit around and do self-indulgent nonsense <laughs> yeah no hi no rich one... yeah <laughs> Um, by the way, um, there's one thing we just missed that I want to circle back to. Um, um, I'm Eddie Webb, and this is my co is one of the co-hosts. We actually never got a chance to introduce ourselves. <laughs> oh my god, we never introduced ourselves. If you're oh, on this episode, <laughs> and Ma- you don't Matthew know. and the two complications. <laughs> that sounds like a hallmark sounds comedy. Sounds like a really good band. Yeah, probably like something. Buddy Holly from, and the Attractions. Yeah, I, I was thinking 1940s, 1950s, uh, some e- easy rock and roll. Mm. I said Buddy Holly, else Costello looked like an idiot. Whatever, I know what I meant. You know what you meant. Yeah, Crickets all those Buddy Holly, Buddy... Attractions, Elvis Costello. All those Buddy Holly fans who listen to us are going to write in angrily now. I'm actually more <laughs> mad because I'm an Elvis Costello fan, <laughs> and I was just like, I just said the wrong thing. Oh well. Well, going back to Silent Venom, which I think is fast becoming a <laughs> came from oh, beneath God. the sea plot that needs to be written. Uh, this will be a tasty bit for the future. Eddie, uh, I would like to put to you. So we've mm-hmm. got, we, we, we have a way of uh, getting our snakes onto our submarine. No, we you never know, established that. We, we, you, you said you dumped them snakes into the submarine. There also came through a torpedo tube and the box that couldn't fit in the submarine now suddenly is in the submarine. So we have not established how they got in the submarine at it's all. Three separate factions of snakes is <laughs> what it is. 
and they're it's all a snake going, civil war exactly that so see we're crossing over with a bit of pugmire here uh they all want uh control over this submarine all these different reptiles and damn it these humans are just collateral damage it's like aliens versus predator and we know how well that went so if it's a snake civil war i just imagine a smash cut to like you know a, a piece of parchment and going sissy this war is not going too well in the submarine. We've lost 15 of our hatch over the past 24 hours. But, but sissy, I remember that barn, and I remember <laughs> our family back home. It and was also I th- a really lightly staffed submarine, because it wasn't like a full complement of people as if they were like on a mission. It was yeah. just like a skeleton crew just to get the submarine to a place, which would never, like, there's usually like 160 guys on a submarine. Yeah. And so, it, were they actually skeletons? Uh, but by the end of the movie, they might have been. I don't remember. <laughs> but I don't recall there being more than like eight or ten people on the submarine. Hmm. You can't afford that many people on that kind of budget. You wouldn't think you'd put an admiral on a submarine for a scuttling mission, would you? But then again, when Tom Berenger wants to get involved, he's not going to accept anything <laughs> less than admiral. Well, to be fair, I mean, the admiral is actually a wear snake, so ah, well, he's the he leader of one of the factions, right? So so let, let's assume these snakes access the submarine via three different methods of egress. And it, and it occurs at roughly the same time. We have sure. Chip and his snake beard. We have the snakes <laughs> through the conning tower. And we have the snakes through the torpedo tubes. Uh, the ones at the torpedo tubes are harassing Luke Perry right now. Uh, the ones that fell through the conning tower are with our lady scientist. And uh, we have Chip. I guess Chip could be played by Tom Berenger. Uh, sure. So that's a good first act for our movie. <laughs> what what happens next? <laughs> Dear Christ, um, that's only Act One. So so we haven't even established the we established the problem. We have not yet gone to uh, <laughs> Act Two, which is the uh, uh, escalating stakes and the twist. Yeah, well, that, I that's think, the... I think you mean escalating snakes. Ah, escalating snakes. <laughs> You should watch them climb the stairs. And, of course, one of these factions has got to be, like, constrictor snakes. Another one's got to be venomous. And I don't know, what's another way of making a snake deadly? Rattlers. Cobras. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be terribly um, accurate. What's the name of a uh, a scientist who specializes in reptiles? They have a name, don't they? Herpetologist. Herpetologist, Herpetologist, yes. We are not herpetologists, and I don't think many herpetologists will be watching the movie. So so saying rattlers are an entire faction here is quite good, because they're they're distinctive. They're not silent, but I think we accept by now that the title isn't necessarily an advert for the movie. So... Yeah. Okay. So, so, so the escalating Uh, stakes. What what are the stakes? The escalating snakes are the fact that when Chip's face gets pulled off, he reveals the fact that he is actually twelve snakes in a suit. Um. So there's been one of the factions has actually infiltrated the the submarine all along. Oh. Did Chip know, or was um, he possessed, and this was just his moment of awakening? No, I'm going to say that uh, Chip has been a, a long-time agent. Uh, he's been in the military for about or Navy for about four or five years now. So um, uh, uh, once he got past the lisping problem, he was pretty much uh, taken for a human the entire time. That's deep cover. It is, but they knew that at some point in time, this exact submarine was going to be decommissioned because then once they do, then, then the Snake Empire could take over the submarine and have a nuclear submarine to tool around and do Snake Empire things. I, I don't know. Uh, we're, we're, not, we're only in Act 2. I'm worried about that right now. 
Uh, do you think we could have Chip saying something? He would hiss it after his face comes off and he attacks Buddy. He could say, looks like I finally shed my skin. And then he could walk off or walk into shot, you know? Right. Um, and that's actually part of the problem is that um, uh, this that, that is the, the, the Venomous faction. Um, mm. and, and they are primarily feuding with the Rattlers, uh, who are the group that came in through the, um, the, the torpedo tubes. Uh, they, they, they're also trying to acquire the uh, submarine. But it is revealed, Lay Scientist is actually in the pay of the third constricting faction, and they are the silent Venom faction because they're trying to <laughs> silence the Rattlers because they're too loud and get rid of the Venomous factions. Why did you make the constrictors the Venom faction? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. We're not herpetologists. That has been established canonically. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> The boa con- so the constrictors are the silent ones. The right. venom ones were the ones in the box. No, the venom ones were the ones in. The- no, the constrictors came in through the conning tower. The va- the venomous ones were the ones who were also coming through the. They they came through the torpedo tubes. Oh, whereas I it was the rattlers. The- Look, okay, I'm so- looking for some kind of consistency here. This is a damn oh, movie. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh yes. Okay. Oh you, Mister Continuity, have no way that. to talk about this. I'm just saying that Snake Face is the big act to reveal. And beyond that, those are details that, you know, that we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it in editing. We'll deal with it in post. I'm not worried I think the this. lady scientist falls in love with Snake Face. There we go. That's a good one. Oh. So, so Chip they... is a hero <laughs> or lady scientist is beca- going to become a villain? I think I, I think she's going to become a, a a villain, and they're going to go make like an Isla like a like Isle of Doctor Moreau like snake sanctuary snake mm. sna- snake sanctuary sanctuary. <laughs> um, I I will say that I like you can find clips of this on on YouTube, but I think one of my favorite moments that I re- remember from that was when one of the like junior officers on the boat, one of the like Navy guys, was like looking down and there's just like a snake and it's like it's like it's, it's a pretty average snake it's not like a giant snake right it's just it's, it's, a, it's a snake yeah and he like sees it and he goes he goes snakes we got snakes <laughs> i'm just like we got snakes it's just the best way to announce that like your submarine is full of snakes we got snakes yeah i appreciate I, I hope he he pulls out that little the mic that reaches up to the that sends a communique across the radio or the bridge and yeah that's what he says and all the other sailors just kind of look at each other and think, "Is Billy drunk again?" Uh, because yeah, but no, but no, there's like one or two sailors who are like looking very suspicious because they think they've been called out. They think they've been discovered. And it's like <laughs> discovered the snake infiltrators. Ah, yeah, yeah. Their their pupils suddenly go very narrow right. as uh, as they they lick their show- lips nervously, and you see it's forked. Yeah. yeah, they show to the camera, the viewer, that they are deep undercover. But so far, Berenger and Luke Perry are unaware of this. Wait a minute. Have we just inadvertently made the V reboot? Yes. Uh, <laughs> but he's already been rebooted, so it's the V reboot reboot? Reboot of the reboot, yes. I think I don't think anyone from, from V, uh, the TV, the miniseries, or the reboot is going to come after this as a ripoff because it would be acknowledging that our plot is in any way similar to theirs. It would be, give, if anything, it would be <laughs> saying that our plot is passable. And right now, it's still it a not. perfect Beneath the Sea game, in my opinion. Uh, but, it, yeah, yeah, we don't, don't want to push it into decent production values, do we? No, no, not at all. Uh, so, really terrible. 
So, Dixie, where is the moral quandary in si- in our silent venom? Uh, for for any of the characters, there has to be some kind of hook that will draw in the 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 viewer looking for. Well, we already know it's a villainous romance, but right. at some point there's got to be some kind of no moment or a um or or you know I've got to close this airlock and leave you behind kind of thing in order to save the submarine. So what's it gonna be? I think I think the big twist is that the reason that they're transporting these tr- genetically altered snakes uh, secretly mm. is that they have discovered that in this highly endangered, they have the last specimens left alive uh, of of these snakes. Their venom is actually also the cure for cancer. Uh-huh. Wow, that is a so, big deal. Yeah, so if they if they kill all these snakes, they can never reverse engineer the cure for cancer easily again. But the snakes will kill them. Ah, okay, so we've got Berenger and Luke Perry fighting now. They're going to be having a fist fight while surrounded by snakes. They'll probably be rolling over snakes in like an Indiana Jones pit thing, but on a submarine. And Berenger is saying, um, I'm not going to let you kill me, damn it! And Perry says, um, Our lives in exchange for all the cancer sufferers out there. Damn it, that's no sacrifice at all. And I don't know why um, Tom Barron just turned into Vince McMahon and Luke Perry just turned into Stone Cold <laughs> Steve Austin, but. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> if you ain't down with that, I got two words. Oh, no, that's D Generation X. But anyway, going outside of the WWE territory. Uh, so they're rolling around because Berenger wants to survive, and he and he basically points at Luke Perry, and he says, "Fuck cancer sufferers." <laughs> and Luke Perry, who shall we say, we could have a flashback <laughs> at this moment, couldn't we? Oh to my where God. his brother, as an infant, died of cancer. It's a really tasteless scene. Where Luke Perry hasn't aged at all, de aged or aged, he's there and he says, "I was just a kid back then." <laughs> and he's holding his brother's hand, and his brother's there in the bed. And beep, beep, beep. Either he's died or the microwave's finished. And fire <laughs> gun. And Luke Pe- and, it, and then the the flashback fades away. We're back in the submarine. Luke Perry's uh, to to quote every single piece of fiction out there. His mouth is a thin, firm line, and he says, "Never again. I I won't let another. <laughs> I won't let. What was his brother's name? What's Luke Perry's brother's name in this? Uh, Davy, probably. I won't let another Davy die." <laughs> And um, he, at that point, probably pushes Tom Berenger into the pile of writhing snakes. And you see Tom Berenger's legs kicking as he's dragged away into <laughs> <laughs> Like the witch in Wizard of Oz. <laughs> I also like how this, this fight scene is happening in a submarine, which is well known for large, spacious areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fight it's, got scenes a, it's got a big pit somewhere. <laughs> um, the fighting think... pit. I for think, when I we think have the only, problems aboard. I think the only pit on most submarines is the uh, nuclear reactor. Yeah. Uh, which Ooh. You... Oh, that's no. Where, that's where you have the fight. I mean, yeah, the, reactor, the, obviously. the snakes are attracted to the nuclear energy. Oh, yeah, because of the radiation, which also <laughs> is a treatment for cancer. Right. Yeah. 
So if you irradiate the snakes, then the venom becomes the cure for cancer. Oh, yeah, that's how it works. Irradiated snakes. Rad because, snakes. again, submarines are well known for having poor radiation shielding for all the people that stay on that submarine for very long periods of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's probably what sets Berenger off in the first place, because he... As with with the end of every sentence, as he rips off his bandana first, as all admirals wear, and then he rips off his vest. So he, first he uh, he says, "I fought Nazis in WWII," and rips off his bandana, and then he says, "I fought commies in Vietnam," and he rips off his vest. He says, "I'm not laying down for a submarine full of snakes," and he rips his pants off, and then he's ready to fight. <laughs> So obviously the very last shot of this movie, no matter what happens, has to be a little pile of like glowing eggs somewhere, right? right. Mm. Just like pulsating. Yeah. The cure for cancer is out there, basically, but it has yet to be discovered. It was like at the end of that Killer Bees TV movie that was very popular in the early 90s. Um, yeah, well, I watched it several times, so in my mind, it was very popular. Very and nice. and at the end, as you're panning over suburban America that was just just got over the arachnophobia movie and has now survived the Killer Bees movie, you have some text that says, um, "Killer Bees are multiplying by the thousand. Soon, this will not be fiction. Soon, this will be a true story. We could have it panning over the irradiated snake egg and saying the cure for cancer hasn't been found yet." Wait, wait, I, I want to digress here for a second um, because this no. is obviously the topic. Um, <laughs> because you just mentioned the Killer Bees movies takes place after Ectophobia. Is there a insect invasion cinematic universe I am unaware of? Well, I'm not suggesting they're in the same continuity. I have a question, actually. Which yes. which which Killer Bees TV movie do you mean? Do you mean Killer Bees? Do you mean the Savage Bees? Do you mean the Swarm? Or do you mean the Deadly Bees? Is there a genre of BTV movie? <laughs> yes. And are they all in the same cinematic universe? I'm back to this part, Jerry. I don't think they are. Jerry Seinfeld voices bees in all of them. It's quite embarrassing. <laughs> um, but no, it's. Uh, I think it's just the one called Killer Bees. I remember a scene quite vividly. I must have been six or seven, but I remember it quite Bean. vividly. Uh, where there's a someone who is surviving the killer bee outbreak by lying in a bathtub and breathing through a straw. They're just laying under the water and they've got a straw that's poking out through the surface of the water. Listeners, if you remember that scene from the Killer Aww. Bees movie, uh, write in on Discord to show that I haven't completely lost my mind. I mean, uh, the last 34 or 5 minutes uh, may may argue that point, but... <laughs> <laughs> so the like nineteen. So is 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 this a seventies movie? Is this what we're talking no, about? No, I don't think so. I think it's early nineties. Oh, it's a different Killer Bees movie than all the Killer Bees movies I'm talking about. Then, I mean, it could be the the seventies. <laughs> there are movies. five Killer Bee movies. Oh, there's there's more than that. Killer Bee movie nineteen nineties. Let's see. Let's see. We got Deadly Invasion, the Killer Bee Nightmare. That sounds about right. That that sounds quite quite it, similar it came out in 1985 mm -hmm. uh, okay police officers i saw this movie it's got it's got ryan philippe in it see everyone's seen it that's <laughs> it was popular it it's was, got like it a was really young ryan philippe i or Philippe. I'm... i don't know how you say his name i don't care <laughs> he cares well ryan if you're listening 
Uh, do do write in to let us know the correct pronunciation of your name and uh, how your career went. Mm. So, so what what I'm hearing is that we really should be making. They came from inside the beehive. They came from inside the hive. Uh. <laughs> this is an untapped genre of film that I was previously unaware of. Well, I remember as a youth being rather traumatized by the end of My Girl, where Macaulay Culkin's character yeah. Thomas oh, yeah. Jane was uh, stung to death by bees. Yep, I was terrified of bees. I'm, um, I'm, I'm still terrified of bees, honestly. So uh, yeah, it's all all the fault of that movie. Uh, but that was one of my sister's favorites, and so we would probably watch it at least once a month. And uh, she would always run out of the room when it was, um, he can't see without his glasses, that moment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's obviously stuck with me, so whether that, I, I, I think it was a good movie from memory, There's but a... not, nothing like Silent Venom, obviously. So, as, as, as we talked about on here before, uh, I've been doing German on Duolingo, right? Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite things to say in German is Eine Biene, which is a yes. Uh, and I was just looking at killer bee movies, and there is a German killer bee made-for-TV movie called Die Bienen. Die Bienen. And I love the fact that it's called Die Bienen, uh, just because that's a really fun thing to say. Um, it's just I, the bees. I am looking right now. There are so many killer bee and insect movies. Like, there's, like, we really could do a whole supplement of insects and, like, uh, snakes and shit. I'm, I'm guessing that at some point... We as a society were really worried about bees, killer bees. Uh, well, yeah. there was the whole like Africanized bee thing that people were mm, terrified right. about in the nineties. Yeah, yeah. But I- I'm fairly certain it was at the end of that deadly invasion movie. You get a sort of tracking shot over suburban America that says, "This isn't a true story yet, uh, but it will be." Uh, you know, so it will be. <laughs> Oh no! Are the irradiated snakes a super oh. soldier program to defeat the killer bees? Well, I would like that to can, be can the case. Can snakes defeat bees? Well, that's my that's my fundamental issue. My only issue with this plot <laughs> is how do the snakes fight the bees? The bees now could be irradiated to fight the snakes. That is logical. Watch the whole of Deadly Invasion on YouTube. We could. Maybe that'll be our Christmas movie this year. Oh my god. Oh my god, I could buy the VHS on Amazon. You could. Do you have a VHS player? No. (laughs) But you could buy it anyway. But also I clicked on the VHS thing on Amazon and it was in Russian and I don't think it's the same thing. Mm. (laughs) Now I'm confused. They're still terrified of killer bees over there. That's the thing. It's very popular. Very popular subgenre of horror. Yeah. Uh, so so we're saying that the sequel is Snakes versus Bees. One's got a one's got a sting, the other's got fangs. Who will come out on top? The rattler or the buzzer? <laughs> uh, <laughs> this just sounds better and better the more you talk about it. Yeah, yeah I'm like trying to think of some catchy like taglines with that. I'm unfortunately uh, again in wrestling mode. I can imagine a throat scorching Vince McMahon uh, coming to the ring, hailing from Death Valley, the Rattler, and you've got the snake approaching, or the snakes, <laughs> and then from the hive of your mind, the bees. 
And uh, there used to be a tag team called the Killer Bees. Right, I was saying, yeah, Jake Roberts. I mean, you have yeah. the Killer Bees versus Jake Snake Roberts. That, that's yeah. right there. Right and so. Stone Cold Steve Austin was called the Texas Rattlesnakes. So, there, there you go. Again, we, we have our voice actors already primed and ready to go, really. Because this, what the Snake versus Bee movie desperately needs is good voice actors. Uh, specifically, professional wrestlers voice acting. Wait no, a no, minute. I say are, good voice actors. Are... Are, are are the bees speaking English now? Apparently, Thanks. no. They're speaking Russian, according to that screenshot you just sent. <laughs> oh well, that that adds another political dimension to this <laughs> movie. Oh no, the bees we, are communists. They live in hives. We've got, <laughs> <laughs> but they serve a queen. How does that work? They over these bees overthrew their, queen, their queen, yeah, right. and seized the means of honey production for themselves. Now because they were irradiated, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what happens. <laughs> Because as we all know, radiation causes communism. That's just science. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I could buy it. Um, <laughs> I could definitely write it, that's for sure. How do the snakes and the bees fight? Are the snakes just like swallowing the bees whole? Is yes. there a scene where a snake swallows too many bees and the bees burst out of the snake? Also, yes. In like triumph? Oh, that's horrible. Oh, all the shit we've been talking about, and that's your line. That's the line you're drawing. No, no I, will, I will remind you that we have previously established that the snakes can, in fact, inhabit human bodies. So that is why the snakes are infiltrating as humans, because they can then create insecticides and light to try to destroy the bees. Can the bees also infiltrate as humans? Can there be like a swarm of bees that like puts on a hat and a trench coat? And this is getting stuff? very Werewolf the Forsaken at this point, <laughs> to, to mention another one of our games. Uh, one, But we have also established with Chip Snakebeard that it is possible for snakes to jump out of a box. So maybe these snakes are like pogo sticks. They can sort of coil their tails and go boing and bite bees out of the air rather than just laying there like snakes do and waiting for the bees to hopefully land in their mouths because it's not a very uh, effective means of attack um so yeah yeah uh, otherwise i think that the snake versus bee plot does fall down due to the entire avian advantage when it comes to predation where are the birds in all this are the birds dead well that's a very complicated subject matter i was hoping not to address until the third in the series of these movies uh birds eat bees and snakes the birds and the bees and the snakes yeah yeah and I think it's a complicated brew, this uh, this animal and insect menace. And uh, we need to be careful. We need to be careful to treat every single species with the respect and correct scientific... Uh, well, you know, we need to approach it seriously. Otherwise, no one will watch, no one will play. <laughs> All I can think of now is uh, Catherine O'Hara on Schitt's Creek doing the uh, crows, crows Have Eyes 3. <laughs> I don't think we've ever stuck to a single topic for this long. And I'm really surprised. I'm so surprised it's this stupid submarine snake movie I brought up. I, I, I will. I, actually, I, I can bring it to a different topic that is relevant. Um, because I know over the years we have gotten some questions to the effect of how do you come up with adventure ideas? Uh, and this is obviously a very ludicrous example of that. How but, dare I mean, you? We, we said repeatedly, though, that this would make a fun that came from scenario. Um, some various permutations of what we talked about could possibly be a they came from scenario. And a lot of that just came from us throwing things out there and doing lots of improv style yes and. So this kind of brainstorming is actually a really cool way to get scenarios. And, and, and I know at least some of the stuff 
I write is some form of, okay, well, I saw this movie recently and this was an interesting plot element. What mm -hmm. if they took that and put it in something else and then build on that and put it in something else? And eventually it has something that's very far from where you started, mm -hmm. i.e. the bird bee snake war. <laughs> <laughs> the submarine has been left far beyond in our, our discussion. Um, but, I mean, it, it, it's, it still means that, you know, we have something that, that I, I would say compelling, but certainly interesting that could theoretically be gameable. So, I mean, in terms of adventure creation, this kind of yes and and building on stuff is actually a really good way to get ideas for adventures for your games. What is really sad is that I think this all started because Matthew said I worked on a board game recently and never actually got to his anecdote about working on a board game recently. No, no, I didn't. Because he immediately derailed it with Monopoly and shoots a ladder me. <laughs> snakes and trees. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, We're professionals, oh, well. folks. Yeah. Maybe I'll finish that anecdote one day. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, the the snakes on a submarine plot could work very well for a game of deeply introspective personal horror, such as Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, I invite a storyteller to tie this into a game of vampire and not involve the followers of Sept, and see and see how you go. A submarine would be a really good place for a coterie of vampires to live. Yeah, if it's, yeah, with 160 people on, you know, if it's fully crewed. Uh... No, 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 no. I meant like they like have a submarine so that when they're sleeping during the day, they just like submerge it. Oh, I see. I thought you meant like an entire chronicle at sea. No, I meant like they live on a submarine, hmm. but they do things outside of the submarine. Yeah, it's um, it's protected. That's for sure. They've got a lot of metal, a lot of bulkhead between them and the sun. So yeah, not a bad I idea. Feel I feel compelled at this point to to remind listeners that canonically there is an entire subsection of Gangrel called the Van Gangrel Aquari, which are water based Gangrel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is a, a, a Gangrel Aquari haven. Yeah, no such thing as an original idea. Apparently, the Mariners have already been <laughs> been created. But I mean, you know, I, I mean, we're 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 kind of joking here, but also again, if, if we go with the yes and thing. Um, uh, if you look at movies like Das Boot, which is basically a psychological horror film on a submarine. Yeah, yeah. You could, I think, do a decent World of Darkness or even Chronicles Darkness game set on a submarine. It'd be a one-shot, obviously. It wouldn't be a Chronicle game. But, I mean, you could do a one-shot game of, like, okay, one person on this submarine is a monster. I mean, that's yeah. that's the plot of Alien. Sure, like... right, yeah. I mean, it's, it's replace <laughs> submarine for a spaceship. Yeah, it's basically yeah. Alien, too. Hmm. Like, I, I would honestly, if... If I were going to run that, I would probably use Free League's Alien rules, and just yeah. it. like it's like one of the games I played that a while back with the uh, Carry and Comfort kind of gaming crew um, was set on like a you know nineteenth century sailing vessel that came across mm. a shipwreck, and it was still alien. Like the the whole game was still there, but it was kind of like Alien meets the Thing meets you know old timey stuff. Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah, yeah kind of. And it was it was really cool uh, because, you know, it, it, it was the same kind of tension, but without the technology and the big guns and things like that. It was more about, like, you know, stabbing things with, with, with spears and just trying to escape with your life. Uh, but you can really set set an, an alien type of game almost anywhere that happens to be moderately isolated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Uh, con being confined is a great tool for any GM. Uh, it's putting the characters in a place they can't easily escape from because there'll always be some clever bastard who just says, you know what, this mm -hmm. house, this haunted house is a bit too rough for me. I'm getting in my car and driving away. 
Right. And uh, yeah, at, at, with regular gaming groups, that's not so bad. At a one shot, you're running a convention. It can ultimately result in the line of, uh, well, I'm afraid the plot is taking place in the house. So if you want your character to leave, <laughs> I'm afraid the game ends here for you. Yeah, that's that's why. I mean, most most horror movies have some c- contrivance. You know, near not, yeah. not, not not most, but quite a few of them have some contrivance of like all of our cell phones are dead and our car doesn't work because you've got to be trapped, right? Right. It's not like if, if you can just get in a car and leave, that's not a fun horror movie, which is why uh, I I wrote one of the scenarios for, um, was it the Camp Murder Lake Supplement or the Beyond the Grave? Oh, I don't remember. It was I wrote Beyond a the Grave. I wrote a scenario for where they came from the game. <laughs> and um, literally at the very beginning, I'm like, I'm like, their car breaks down. Yeah. There is no, expl- like, it's going to take at least two days to get parts or to get out of here. That's just how it is because it's a, it's a horror movie. Mm. Like I can say the car breaks down. Oh, well my character is a mechanic. Okay. You don't have the part. You, you can't fix it. That is the one thing in that scenario that is like immutable is Mm. that your car has broken down. You are stuck here for a couple days. I mean, you can run off through the woods, but weird shit's still going to happen. Right. And so that's, that's kind of the, that's, that's, that's what works about a lot of horror movies is like you are trapped or you know going anywhere is not really helpful yeah i think uh this is part of the reason well if you look everything from the george a romero dead trilogy the first mm-hmm. few uh and yeah well obviously the first few of his trilogy uh they all find themselves in confined places by the second acts of the movie generally mm-hmm. uh but what makes it imp- what makes the opposite impressive for me is how difficult it can be to sustain horror in a in a movie in a game where movement is a constant possibility. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at a TV series like the, there's one on on Netflix, I may have mentioned it before, called Black Summer. Uh, the first season of it is, is is all right. The first season of it is all right. For me, it was a nice zombie palate cleanser from The Walking Dead, which to my tastes got a bit uh, turgid would be a good word. I, mm-hmm. I, I've, I've made it to about season six or seven in Walking Dead, and I've never mm. managed to push past that point. Yeah. Uh, so at one point, it is a bit like you're wading through an increasingly thick swamp, and oh no, I'm in quicksand. But what Black Summer somehow is able to do, especially with the second season, which I think is absolutely magnificent, a wonderful piece of zombie media, uh, the likes of which I've never seen anything come close to it in its scope. Uh, is it makes a, a a horror story where movement is almost constant and somehow it manages to perfectly balance that uh, modulation of suspense and sort of uh, relaxation time, suspense and relaxation time. Uh, it doesn't keep trying to push horror. There are brief windows where you can breathe and then it starts up again. And uh, I really recommend it to people if they want to see get inspiration for how to run a horror game that isn't fixed in one location. It's a good place to go to. Another one that's not a common horror reference, because it's usually not think of as horror, but in terms of having wide spaces and having horrible things to happen to people when they have lots of movement is the Mad Max homes. Because a lot of it is Mad Max moving around a pretty wide area, but still yeah. horrible things keep popping up and happening to them. 
Um, so, I mean, they're actually a pretty good example of that because his, his movement is almost never constrained. Well, yeah, uh, and I still hope that we will one day get a Furiosa film uh, as a yeah. sequel or prequel to Fury Road. I don't know if it will ever happen, but it would be would be excellent if it was, if it was a possibility. Uh, so shall I finish this board game anecdote? Yeah. <laughs> if you feel like it. <laughs> I have to know now. Okay, so I was working on a board game. <laughs> Relatively recently. Uh, It's not Monopoly, it's not Snakes and Ladders, it's not Shoots and Ladders. And uh, it's changed quite a lot since uh, I first started working on it. And a part of it, it, and the reason I mentioned it was on the subject of complications. It was a game where you could make choices from scene to scene, from sort of scenario to scenario, like a legacy game. Mm -hmm. And you could make a choice in like scenario two, and then, and, and essentially, it would, it would kind of stick around. This choice would stick around you like a conditional complication that would hang around your neck all the way up until about scenario twelve, where if you had made this wrong choice back in chapter two um, of this book, you um, you die now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just lose. And it was it for some reason it made me think of complications in our games because it made me think of them in a negative way of how complications could be misused. How, for instance, uh, we go through that running away from the were lobster, climbing up the chain link fence, climbing over it gets your wallet. That shouldn't necessarily be a death knell for your character. It was only a failed complication. It wasn't an actual failed role. So you shouldn't then get home and find that the were-lobster has uh, murdered your family or is now boiling them alive and saying, see how it feels? (laughs) Um, Can you hear the air escaping from their shells? Does it sound like screaming? That's a bit bit intense for (laughs) they came from beneath the sea. Um, Also very Silence of the Lambs. Yes, can you still hear the air escaping from their shells, (laughs) Clarice? Um, (laughs) um, (laughs) So a Hannibal Lecter-like were-lobster. I'll have to think about that. I kind of love that. Mm. I kind of want to do that now. (laughs) Human Thermidor. Mm. Uh. He just pours butter over everyone he knows. Yeah. Just throws oh it in God. their face. Yeah, it's like it's like it's like gold goldfinger, but he just like drenches them in butter. Yes. <laughs> I'll crack your uh, shell, Mr. Bond. Is I'll crack your shell and suck out the insides. Again, it doesn't sound <laughs> at all pleasant, but probably because Hannibal no. Lecter isn't. No. Uh, and I will Excuse drink me. it with a Hannibal pint Lecter of melted butter. Incredibly pleasant. <laughs> have you seen Hannibal? I have, and he is. Uh, would you want ha- that Hannibal at your gaming table? I, 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 I have a problem where I like villains, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sure. He's a great character. Well, let, let's put our three Hannibals up against each other. We've obviously got Brian Cox uh, doing very well right now in Succession uh, mm-hmm. from Manhunter. Uh, we have, uh, obviously, Sir Anthony Hopkins uh, as Hannibal Lecter, and we have Mads Mikkelsen as Hannibal Lecter from the TV show Hannibal. Uh, they are all playing in your game. And... <laughs> yes! <laughs> this game is awesome! <laughs> what game are they playing? Well, that okay. So, what game do you think they'd enjoy? Them, them as Hannibal Lecter or the actors? Uh, 
I, I think it would have to be them as Hannibals. So you've got three Hannibals at your table. I think the only game I could see them playing is uh, Consulting Detective and then getting really, really mad if Sherlock is ever smarter than them. Yeah, there you go. They, are, they, have, they have very high opinions of their own intelligence. Mr. Holmes just insulted me. I think I will... <laughs> <laughs> I will cut him from bow to stern. And and let let Watson find him the morning after a new mystery for the irregulars to solve. <laughs> hmm. Uh, Holmes would outwit Hannibal Lecter, I'm sure. Yeah, but then Hannibal Lecter would eat him. Ah, uh, no, no, he would eat a double of Holmes. This is the thing. Holmes can be very uncaring <laughs> at true. times. Uh, he would um, make Hannibal Lecter think that he ate Sherlock Holmes, and then Sherlock probably wouldn't go to lock him up. If this is Benedict Cumberbatch, Sherlock especially, um, Hannibal would have just written a really scathing restaurant review kind of thing of how Sherlock <laughs> Holmes tasted. And then as he's written it and everyone's reading it in the Times and we're getting lots of interesting uh, special effects kind of things, uh, augmented reality things because it's BBC Sherlock. At that point, Sherlock appears as Hannibal is delivering his keynote speech on this Holmesian dinner. And he says, in actual fact... You just ate my twin brother that I haven't seen for thirty years. <laughs> because I felt a because I felt estranged from him, I ensured that it was he that met you for dinner, <laughs> not I. I do want a story now, though, where Hannibal Lecter is Sherlock Holmes's therapist. Mm. That would be great. It would, wouldn't it? The crossover that may never happen. There, there's kind of that already. Of course there is. <laughs> the the, the seventh solution is basically Sherlock Holmes in therapy, where, spoiler alert for a 40-year-old book, um, he realizes that Moriarty is completely a construct of his own mind. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Hannibal Lecter doing that would be an interesting twist on that same story, because then it becomes like, okay, well, is that actually what happened, or did Lecter kind of see yeah, his thoughts? Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. I, want, I just want to see them pitted against each other, because those are two you know, pretty interesting minds. And yeah, I don't know. It would just be fun for me. No, no. I mean, honestly, not. Again, we're back to adventure ideas. It's like I could actually see that being a, a pretty fun story. Yeah, you could have um, you could have Holmes interacting with the other characters from the Hannibal canon as well. Uh, multiple Migs, except multiple Migs could be a um, a gang, I guess. Uh, you'd have... <laughs> oh no! 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 <laughs> problematic ass shit yes uh well unfortunately uh, i i don't think hannibal Lecter is a terribly ethical uh therapist or psychologist or psychiatrist or however i'm shocked to hear that he's a terrible psychiatrist have you seen hannibal yeah like he is is both a really really good psychologist and a really really bad one in that he's good at being a psychologist but he's bad at the ethics part Mm. yeah i don't think he ever sends anyone away better then they arrive. <laughs> they might think they're better. Mm. <laughs> but then he shows up and eats them. Yes. So, Well, yeah, I guess they're no longer interesting to him at that point. Um, so, anyway, anyway, this absolutely ridiculous episode draws to a close. <laughs> and uh, I've obviously got to start writing uh, Silent Venom from Beneath the Sea. Uh, look out for that in the new year uh, when it comes to Tasty Bits. 
Uh, I, I'm actually, we're going to need to discuss this, Eddie, because you're in charge of the Tasty Bits schedule. And I, may have to I, I, I actually have some thoughts on that. We'll talk about it off air. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, if you called it Silent Venom, Holy Venom, it could be like a Christmas snake movie. Silent Venom, Holy Venom. <laughs> <laughs> Silent Venom. But now we've got a franchise, Dixie. That's the thing. We've now got a Christmas special out of this. Uh, that obviously in the Christmas special, it's where the bees and the birds and the snakes get together to and are joined together to fight a worse foe, uh, which would be the Capital. revived Tom Berenger. Cap- do you think capitalism? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. The revived uh, capitalism embodied by Tom Berenger, who has come back right. from the dead. They, uh, you know, everyone thought because the budgets on these movies go down with each successive sequel. And so Tom Berenger was a big gain for that first movie. No one thought he would come back to the franchise. And I mean no one. And as much as we would like him to, Luke Perry isn't coming back to any movies anytime soon. So, no. So that means we are reliant, us real fanboys dedicated to the original Silent Venom movie. And then Tom Berenger comes back for the Christmas special. And he rips off his Santa beard. And there he is, all scarred from all the snake bites. And he... What would he say? He'd have to, in the trailer, he would have to say something like, ho, ho, ho. Uh, Maybe he'd wave his finger and go, no, no, no. (laughs) No, that's not very good. In that case, it works perfectly. Just to put a little pin on this, on on this whole thing, I was just looking at the Wikipedia page for the director of Silent Venom. Mm. Uh, He pretty much just directed terrible movies for, you know decades and decades and decades yeah and um apparently he was also at some point a a professional wrestler oh no and his wrestling name was fabulous freddie valentine really yes oh my god so wow okay valentine aka fred olin ray terrible movie director and also wrestler we're going to have to get in touch with him, Eddie. I think there's a collaboration to be had here. There, there's something to be had. That's definitely yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, Eddie, if anyone wanted to collaborate with you, uh, how would they get in touch? Uh, they could find me on my website at pugsteady.com. That is P-U-G-S-T-E-A-G-Y. You could find me on Twitter at pugsteady, or you could find me posting memes on the Honest Path Discord. And uh, Dixie, if anyone wanted to offer you some enhancements or complications, that doesn't sound as good as it was supposed to. No, that sounds um, weird. Yeah. Um, uh, but nevertheless, I've made my statement, so I will stick with it. Uh, stick with it. <laughs> if anyone would like to afflict you with a condition, Dixie, where would they go? Uh, could conditionally you can find me on <laughs> no i you can find me pretty much everywhere as dixie cyanide both on discord twitter etc i'm also often hanging out in the pathcast channel and for the foreseeable future i am tweeting about trinity continuum anima and they can quip at me over at matthewdawkins.com or they, as with everyone else, can find me on the Onyx Path Discord. And they can find me on Twitter at DawkinsMP. Many worlds, one path cast. Bye.